Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight live YouTube streaming Q&A, whatever the heck we want to call this. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm the co-founder of InventRight. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over 20 years ago, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors to license ever since. I'm going headless, head, headsetless today, if I could say that. So um, maybe the audio is not quite as good, but I don't have to wear that headset. So um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, if you could, Madeline, confirm that you can hear my audio just fine, that would be great. Um, wait for that to come in. Starting to see. Go ahead and type your questions in. Uh, let's see. And if we don't have enough, I'll go from. I got like a couple hundred built up questions from other Q and A's. I could just page up and find some of those, but let's get going here. But start typing in your questions, guys. I'm here to help you. All right. So Linda Marie, during quarantine time, let's see if I pull this over at the other monitor here. Uh, we are unable to schedule a photo shoot for our cell sheet. We only have a testing product photo. Can we use this photo so we can move forward and make interest and contacts? Well, uh, Linda, I would say that you don't need a – rarely do I have our students do professional photo shoots um, in order to get a picture to put in their cell sheet. Even just iPhones or good Android phones these days can take really good quality pictures. So, And it sounds like you already have a prototype, so I wouldn't worry about it. I would use whatever you got. That's fine. Um, a lot of our students aren't able to create a good-looking prototype, so we create a virtual prototype for them. If you're not a student of ours, you could get a virtual prototype done somewhere. We do it through our design studio, through our site as well. Um, and, you know, so let's talk about virtual prototypes a little bit. Uh, these days, it's very affordable to make something that looks kind of like the final product. So when I say virtual prototype, I don't mean an engineering drawing with dimensions and everything. I mean something that looks pretty. Another way that some people do it is they get something Photoshop, taking existing product and they Photoshop it. But a lot of times these days doing a virtual prototype is, is even easier and it looks pretty good. Now, I've seen some virtual prototypes that don't, you know, that look terrible. Um, so make sure you find somebody that can do it well and so it looks good. But I do not think you need a professional photo shoot. I don't even know what your product is, so I can't say 100% for sure. But whatever you have, if you have something, you only have a testing product photo. I don't know what that means, a testing product photo. Um, if it looks somewhat like the final product, great. Now, it doesn't have to actually work at all because it's just a picture, right? You could touch it and it would fall apart. But if it looks good, that's good enough because you're just – what you're selling – when you license a product is not your prototype or your patent, but you're selling the benefit of the product. So if it relays what the product's going to look like, and along with some marketing copy, they can see the benefit, you're probably just fine, Linda. So don't, God, don't think that COVID or getting professional photos done should be holding you back at all. Just go for it. Totally. Um, uh, love, live, discover. That's the person's handle. I submitted an idea to a novelty company, gift industry, and it's taking too long for a response. Well, I don't know. I'll try to go down in the recent chat here. If you could tell me 
You're welcome, Linda, for answering the last questions. Love, live, discover. Tell me what you think is long. Is that a day, a week, a year, two months? Tell me what it is while I'm answering this question. Now I paged up. Now I lost the question. Hold on a second, guys. There we go. Too fast on the mouse. Um, so I, I submitted an idea to a novelty gift industry, but it's taking too long. Is it okay to submit more ideas, or should I wait to hear regarding the first product to submit other products? So submitting your first product, consider it like meeting somebody at a party. They get to know you. And so then you see them later on the street. You're like, hey, Bob, and you talk to them a little bit. And they'll talk to you, and it won't be like a stranger just coming up. So a first product is an opportunity to get to know somebody. And if they're not interested in your idea, it was still worth your time because you made that relationship. And that's particularly important in the novelty gift business because you need to show more novelty gift products before you get one that hits than other categories. They like to look, see a lot of ideas, kind of like toys in that way. So um, let me see. <laughs> okay, so Love, Love, Discover, who asked the question, said a week. A week is nothing. That's not too long. That's normal. You know, looking at new product ideas is not every marketing manager's top priority. So a week is nothing, and you shouldn't be reaching out or complaining that they didn't respond in a week. Um, now, you can reach out and say, I, I would wait at least another week, if not two more weeks, and then reach out again. And the way I would reach out again is I would say, I submitted such and such product and submit the product again and just wondering if you had a chance to take a look at it. And I have some other products I'd like to submit too. Would you be okay with that? So this is a good lesson, Love, Live, Discover, in that so weird calling people by their handles. A week is nothing. Now, here's one of the things mistakes you may be making and that a lot of inventors make. You aren't reaching out to enough companies. So you're like, oh, I know it's perfect for this company. Well, if you work on a product, especially a novelty product, you should have a list of at least five or eight companies, if not maybe 30. So a week wouldn't seem as long to you if you're reaching out to other companies as well, and then you circle back to this company. Keep yourself busy so you're not submitting to one stupid company and they're sitting around waiting and you're sitting around waiting for them to respond. Don't wait. Keep yourself busy. Submit those other ideas you have to other companies as well. So that would be my response there. It doesn't look like we're going to have a shortage of questions. I can't believe I was worried about that. Um, Jonathan says, can you get a better licensing deal if the product is, are, is ready for manufacturing and designed as such? Turnkey, if you will. Um, you know, our students, our InventRight students license stuff all day long. And they haven't made a single one. And it's not ready for manufacturing. That's extremely involved. Um, now, we have students that come on board and they've been selling the product themselves. But they know a big company can do better than they could. And, you know, when they license it, they're handing over the tooling. And, oh, and here's another thousand units we already have. And we have distribution in these 10 stores. I know you guys have distribution in 30,000 stores. You can hand that over. So theoretically, would it make it a little bit easier for them? Yes, maybe. But they might use completely different manufacturing techniques and go, oh, God, we wouldn't use your manufacturer. That's going to make the product $3 too high. We can get the product down $3 by going with our manufacturer. So it's extremely risky to think 
that you need to sell your product in the market in order to license it. And it's just not true. It's, it's a giant risk. So just get it out there and license it. Now, if you have been selling it, fine. Now try to license it, but don't think you have to venture and prove a product out in order to license it. That is so incredibly time-consuming and financially risky. It just really is. So am I going to say that if you figured out – so let's get to the more of the specifics. Now, you didn't say that specifically, Jonathan. You said, is it ready for manufacturing? A lot of times they're going to use different manufacturing techniques and different things. So if you've thought about some of the manufacturing on a complicated product, could that be beneficial? Yes, because now that I, well, when we have to look into all these manufacturing issues and you're like, oh, I got it. Here you go. And there's still going to be other ones, but on a complicated project. But a lot of simple projects, there's not much to look into. There's still a few things, but you let them figure that out. So uh, now what Jonathan's asking, would I get a better licensing deal? I know I don't think you get a better licensing deal, but in some cases, if it was a really confusing product and you figured a bunch of things out that you think they would struggle to figure out, could that be beneficial in helping you close a licensing deal? It's like it's like the fire alarms going off here. Beautiful. Yeah, that's funny. So it's gonna take. Give me just a minute here, okay? Just I'll be right back. We don't have a fire going on, trust me. So, if you guys can hear me, when my wife opens up the oven, it triggers one fire alarm, which triggers all the others. So it's just going to be a minute. It'll air out. We'll be good. In the meantime, I'm going to look at some more questions and figure out what the next question is. Let's see. Okay, there we go. All right. So for those of you who couldn't hear that, We've got a fire alarm that's close to our, my God, my, now I'm like deaf. I'm really sorry about that, guys. Uh, we have a fire alarm that's close to the oven. And when my wife opens it and just heat comes out, it sets that one off and it sets all these others off. And because we got a nice system that triggers all the others. So that's what happened there. <laughs> that was fun. It kept, it woke you guys up. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's never boring. Um, so Teresa says, hey, Andrew, I'm officially in the game. I've been reaching out to companies. Feels exciting. Couldn't have done it without y'all. Uh, InventRight, good stuff to come. So Teresa was, uh, was a student of ours. So th thank you, Teresa. That's nice of you to say that. Uh, let's see. Jonathan says, thanks for doing this. Should the sell sheet be designed to match uh, design aesthetic of a company. For instance, should you point out that you can reuse molds of the company being pitched to? Okay. So what, what Jonathan is saying is, let's say it's, it's similar to uh, existing product. Let's say it's, I was, 
because it depends on the table, right? It's you could say, well, for your what is this profile pen line? Was that Bic? I'm not sure. That. But for your profile pen line, you could use the existing mold, and you're just going to put a bump on it here. Um, I, you know, I could, I wouldn't say like get into the molds. I would say it's a, only a slight change to such and such product. And you can say that. I think that would be fine. Um, but I, but you're not going to mention this in the sell sheet. So Steve and I have been talking about this a lot lately. And there's little things you can say in the cover letter. And that is what I mean by a cover letter is the email. So the email is your cover letter. And your sell sheet you're going to attach as a PDF document or maybe a link to a YouTube video that's unlisted, not public, or maybe both. But that is something that you could mention. But the last thing you want to do is send a long, rambling email. Um, but you, you could mention for that company that they might need to make just a slight modification to their profile pen uh, line in order to do this. I, I don't think you need to – you definitely don't need to mention it in the sell sheet. Typically, a sell sheet, your marketing piece is for their end user. You're not talking about, well, we're going to make a million bucks or this is really good for your company. It's not none of that. You're now, and there are a few exceptions, but you're making your marketing piece for their end users. So if they sell gardening tools, you're showing them an advertisement that they would show their consumer, the grandma that gardens and plants flowers or anybody that gardens and you're representing it that way. So you would not put it in the sell sheet, but you could put something, Jonathan, into the email. Um, so Love Live Discover is another one. I have many novelty ideas, so I don't apply, so I don't apply for a PPA. What if more than one company is interested? That's fine. Uh, the company I won't choose I won't choose still can go ahead. Well, I don't know why you're assuming that. Should I submit one by one companies? Want? No, you should just blast it out to all of them. Having interest from multiple we found over 20 years is actually fairly common. It's not unusual for one of our students to get interest from five initial interest or interest from two or three, or maybe just interest from one or maybe interest from none. So you move forward with every single one as if the others don't exist and they will naturally fall off. And you don't worry about it. And so to be in the final stages of a contract negotiation with more than one is pretty rare. They naturally fall off. If you do one at a time, you might as well just get a gun and blow your head off right now. You'll, it'll drive you nuts because, like, oh, they're interested. They're interested. And you go back and forth, back and forth, two months. And, and they're like, eh, we decided not to. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you, you approach three or four more companies. You get another one interested. Back and forth, back and forth, three months. Oh, what do you say? So now it takes you forever. So what could have taken you got completely done in three months because you had multiple companies interested or you got it out to all of them. Now is taking you a year and a half. Are you kidding me? Hell no, don't do that. And that's what most inventors would do. That is that is that shows that you're a rookie when you do that sort of thing. So it's a great question. Um, now the other part of the question was um, she's in the novelty business and she's saying, I'm sending a lot of ideas, so I want to file a PPA on everyone. I mean, a PPA is only 70 bucks. I think we talked about this in the last session. Maybe it was you or somebody else. But but if you file 10 PPAs, that's 70 times 10. That's $700. Uh, 
Now, so technically, and anything I talk about tonight is not legal advice, um, I'm going to tell you before you do anything, consult an attorney, consult a patent attorney, and I'm not providing you legal advice. But from a practical perspective, um, a lot of times novelty inventors, I'm not telling you to do this, will not because it's novelty ideas don't typically make the amount of money like you could be doing a new shovel or barbecue spatula or something like that. Or, and it could be making you 100, 150K in royalties a year. Maybe it's making you 20K. Maybe it's 50K. Maybe it sells for five years, maybe 10, maybe only two. You never know. But with novelty ideas, they don't sell as long. And um, it's, you're just not going to make as much money with most novelties. Um, so, you know, and you got to show them a lot. So uh, some novelty inventors will not file a PPA. And, and I haven't met one where it bit them in the butt, but it could. So that's something to, to think about. Uh, let's see. Jen says, I have a product for DRTV. DRTV, for those of you who don't know, are infomercials. They used to be known as infomercials. And DRTV stands for direct response television. And But I don't have an actual prototype, but I have a 3D animated virtual prototype. Hopefully it's one of the good ones and not one of these ones the invention promotion companies do for you because I've seen some that are just ludicrously terrible um, with the animations. But if it's a good one, great. Um, and you have a pitch video and a sell sheet. Will I be able to license a DRTV without a physical prototype? Yes, I think you can still license it to DRTV. And if they're like, oh, you know, um, some of the DRTV companies, they don't like doing as much of the development but sometimes just obvious. So at the very least, if you get the interest and they're like, uh, we don't want to like figure this out, but can you come back and figure this out? Well, at least, you know, you got the interest. So the answer, um, Jen, is you absolutely can show them with what you have. And if you get interest, they may be willing to develop it. And if not, at least, you know, you've got interest and you didn't go out and spend five or 10 grand developing this thing that nobody showed interest in. So that would be the practical and meant right approach. Um, so PZ says, a company says they're open to outside submissions, yet all they say on their website is they'll give me, <laughs> this doesn't sound good, $2,500 for each idea if, it's, if it is good, if it is good dash nothing about licensing. Should I move from them? $2,500 is ridiculous for pretty much any idea, in my opinion. If you're happy with that, okay. But that's a red flag. Saying they're going to give you $2,500 and that's it, that's a red flag. I've seen some of those contracts. And that's why when you look at a company's submission page, you need to read through that agreement. Sometimes people think, oh, this is really nasty. And I'm like, oh, no, that's fine. They're just saying you're covered by whatever intellectual property you have and they're covered and they're covered by whatever they have. And they say things like they can't agree to keep it confidential. But in this case, I, I we're just going to assume PZ read it correctly and they say they'll give you 2,500 bucks. What the hell? That's not acceptable. Um, so, but read through it carefully. You may have misread that. Um, you know, that's interesting. PZ, if you could type in what industry that is, just like tell me if it's kitchen or hardware or whatever, I'd be interested and I could provide an additional comment. And uh, Madeline, if you could put that in there, if she does respond. Um, 
Okay. Next, Rohit, I'm struggling coming up with inventions. What would you suggest I do? I love that idea. That's I don't think during all these Q&As anybody asked me that. I love that. So most inventors don't do this. I'm going to tell you guys how to invent. Most inventors randomly come up with ideas. They don't even know their process, really. They just observe something, and they think they saw something before. They didn't recognize they saw it, or they see something. They have a, thing, a thought. But you guys can come up with ideas at any time. Steven, our other co-founder, likes to say it's like, it's like there's an apple tree in your backyard and you just go in the backyard and you just pick it off the tree. It's that easy. Um, if you're creative enough to come up with one or you come up with a couple, you can definitely come up with more. So this is a very, you can't go completely into all the details about it, but this is a better way to invent. You're going to save yourself a lot of heartache if you invent this way. I'm not saying you can't invent other ways or if you have existing ideas, that doesn't make sense. I'm just saying try to do this and you'll have a lot of fun with it. So you go on to Google Images, not regular Google. Now, if you search on Google, you type into the box, and then you'll see Images. Then you click on Images. So you can do that, or you can just go to search on Google, Google Images, or just go to Google slash Images, I think. Anyway, it's pretty easy. If you can't figure that out, I'm, I'm worried for you. But Google Images um, is a very visual tool. And it's going to show you all sorts of stuff. People do regular Google searches. Well, Andrew, I looked on Google and I'm talking to them. And I do a 10-second Google search. It's not like I'm brilliant in knowing what keywords, but I'm obviously better than that person. And I click on images. I'm like, oh, like this? And they're like, where did you see that? Where was that? You know, and I'm like, I'm like, that took me 10 seconds. So you want to go on Google Images. You will find more when Google Images, it'll be so much easier than going on regular Google, okay? And you see all these pictures, all right? And they will be maybe on a website where it's sold, or it'll be here, or it'll be there. Um, so if you typed in um, uh, gardening trowels, you could type in gardening trowels. So here's, here's the way you invent. And you should use Google Images when you're studying the micro category of your idea that you already came up with. But let's say you had no idea. This is a great way to invent. So let's say you love gardening. You can't become an expert in four hours at all gardening tools. There's just too many. It would be overwhelming. But what you could do is go type into Google Images gardening tools. And you could spend eh, 20, 30 minutes looking at them all and you look at, you know, shovels and you look at wheelbarrows and you look at um, seats you can sit on while you're gardening and you look at different tools and different things. And you're like, oh, you know, I'm really interested in the, the, the seats because a lot of people that are retired and older like to garden and things that make it comfortable. So you look at gardening seats or cushions or different things like that. And so you're looking at all of them and you're like, you know, I'm kind of fascinated with cushions. So you're narrowing it down to what I call a micro category. And then what you can do is go, you know what, I'm going to spend four hours. It could be in various sittings. It could be two, but let's say two to four hours studying all the products. Let's say cushions or seats or every product that's out there that makes gardening comfortable. I'm going to become an expert. And without a doubt, if you spent four hours on Google Images, you could become an expert. Now, what are you looking for? So you're looking for... 
you know, oh, there's this kind of group of like, there's knee pads over here. And then there's wagons that hold um, your gardening tools, but you can also sit on it. And then there's stools. And so you're looking for all the little niches in things that make it comfortable to garden. That you can do in four hours. You can never study all the gardening tools and products in four hours. You can't do that. But you could study all the stuff that makes it comfortable, like stools and knee pads and stuff, get comfortable in about four hours. And so what are you looking for? You're kind of like grouping them. Well, there's this type, and then these over here, and these over here. And the prices range from about here to here. And um, typically there was talking about comfort or no more pain or this or that. And you're observing the marketing. And, and you're not inventing anything. You're just observing the marketplace. And then you're probably kind of tired, so you kind of walk away, and you come back, and you might come back to your computer and just relook at those images, and or maybe you're in the shower, or you're driving, and it comes to you. You're like, I remember seeing that knee pad. Well, what if I could take the knee pad and I could combine it with this, and then I could do that, and then I could hold this, and and but here's why here's why this is the most amazing way to invent. And the the problem most inventors randomly come up with ideas without being an expert in the micro category first. That's a big problem. And then you fall in love with it. And then you're searching Google Images. Well, I don't really want to find this, so I won't look too hard, you know, and, and that's a problem. But when you study the micro category first and then you invent, you're inventing being an expert in that micro category. And any of you can be an expert in micro category. So you could be an expert in barbecue spatulas, not all barbecue products, in, uh, gardening stools but not all gardening products in uh car air fresheners but not every automotive aftermarket product my god so you can do that in a short period of time it doesn't have to be something you're obsessed with it could just be something like and again you could look at a bigger category and then narrow it down and go you know what i'm gonna spend four hours and it's fun a lot of people get a lot of anxiety when you already have invented something and then you got to study the category it's in Inventors get tremendous anxiety because they're worried they're going to find something similar. And actually find things somewhat similar, it verifies as a market, but if you find the exact same thing, then you're like, okay, I need to keep inventing. It'll never happen to you if you study that microcategory first. And you're more likely to come up with something that makes sense. So sometimes you're like, oh, well, there's eight barbecue specials like this, and I'm, I know those are selling because there's eight companies selling that type of barbecue special, and I'm going to make this little change. So what... It's going to happen when you approach companies. They know that product sells, and they know you got a point of difference there with your little change, right? Or you go, well, there's this group of products over here and this group over here, and there's nothing in between. And so I'm going to invent something in between that does this and does that, you know? So I, I love that question, Rohit. That was fantastic. So do that. It's easy, man. And it's fun, and you should just be doing that. And it might not be four hours. It might be two. But really put the time in where you've really looked at it all. And that might be two. It might be four. It might be six for some. But you got to narrow it down so it's small enough so it, you can study what I call a microcategory. Um, so John said, hey, Andrew, I really appreciate the COVID webinar you just had. A question about... Okay, yeah, we just came off a COVID webinar for the other organization, IGA, Stephen and I run. So I'm glad you like that. Um, a question about prototypes. When you make prototypes, do companies expect you to include dimensions? If so, how detailed should they be? Um, 
basic dimensions, you should have something with like that. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes a lot of times there's similar things and you're like, well, you know, the dog toy is going to be about this size because we found, you know, you, I've used dog toys and they're with my dog and uh, this size is about right. So you should have that basic information. I mean, that's, that doesn't require you to be an engineer. You should know, is it as big as my head or is it as big as this pencil? You should know that basic information. But the exact dimensions, you should have an idea. Um, but don't here's – here's the main thing I'm going to say, John, is this impression that if you don't have this detailed information, they're going to say, oh, well, you're wasting my time. What are you doing here? You know, if, you, if it takes you a couple weeks to – Maybe you work with some engineer and you get some basic dimensions in there. That was really important to them. But for the most part, you're just moving the deal forward and those little things aren't that important. Um, so, but you, you got to know, is it as big as an elephant or is it as big as this pen? And you guess I got to have a basic idea so you can talk about it. You know, you can't, they go, well, how big is this thing? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> you can't do that. But you can say, well, I, I think about this size is going to work. And, yeah, and then if they want the details from you, and then then you can work that out. And don't think you have to have them before you start calling. That's a big thing. That a lot of people just make endless excuses on why they can't reach out. But I don't have this. But I don't have this. And what you're really selling is the benefit of your product. Um, so Kevin says, should we use company website submission forms or will it get lost in the shuffle? It can get lost in the shuffle. It may or may not. Um, some of the companies may have somebody that looks at that stuff religiously. Some of them, it's just a black hole. And so if you submit through their website and it's a black hole, well, then submit to the marketing manager via LinkedIn or call them on the phone. So you can do all the above. Personally, I think it's fine to submit on their site and reach out to them, but you know, why not submit on their site and if they get back to you on a week, well, it worked. But if it didn't, then reach out. That would be my response. Um, you don't really have anything to lose. It's not like they're paying such close attention. They're like, well, you submitted there, goddammit. Why are you calling me? You know, you're wasting my time. You know, I, you're not going to say that. You know, they might say, well, I, yeah, I saw this, you know. Um, so I don't think you have much to lose there. I think you can do both. Uh, Raul, hey, Andrew, out of my many ideas, how do I evaluate and narrow down which one to go for as my first idea? Um, you know, the, the title of our book is One Simple Idea. And, you know, that's our kind of our flagship book. Um, and I think there's a big benefit to keeping things simple for your first product. But that doesn't mean you can't work on a complicated project as well. But what Raul is saying is I got a bunch. So I would work on one that doesn't have any major manufacturing issues. You can kind of look at similar things and go, well, if they can do that, I know they can do this. So they're not thinking like, how the hell would we even make that? You know, and some ideas, like if your response is like, I have no idea. Well, maybe you should put that one in the closet because now you're going to need to do a whole bunch of manufacturing research where these other ideas are pretty obvious. It's like, well, it's pretty obvious and that's going to be made. So if it's pretty obvious and how it's going to be made, that's a big plus. Um, obviously, you got to have a really clear point of difference. You know, is your product stand out in some way in the other products that are going to be next to it on the store shelf in its micro category, right? Um, it doesn't have to blow them away. 
Um, sometimes people think inventions need to be like, oh, my God, I have this massive wow factor. You need that for DRTV, for infomercials, but you don't need that for standard consumer products. So let's say your two pens are on the shelf. This is the competitor and this is yours. And people are just looking at the pack and they go, oh, it's got that little extra something. You know, in this case, it's got a little flame on it. It's like maybe people like that. It looks cool. I mean, that's not something you license, of course, but it's got an extra clip that does that clips you can clip it on your ear you can clip it somewhere else i'm just being silly guys but sometimes it's little stuff like it's going to set this pen apart from this pen when they see it on the store shelf and so you got to have something that sets it apart um you got to have something that you know when it's it's demonstrable so when you have it in a sell sheet it's like you look at the picture and a little bit of marketing cover Oh, yeah, I could see that. You know, so there's a there's a few criteria. Um, there's a lot of other criteria going with our students. But um, so ease of manufacturing, ease of understanding and point of difference. Sometimes the product's great, but it's really hard to, like, explain what the benefit is. And it's, it can't be it's not as easy to understand as another product. Um, also, certain industries are going to be tough. So. If you've got a new gardening trowel, if you've got a new air freshener for the car, if you've got a new scalpel for surgery, those are are, are going to be that hard to license. But if you have a massive, massive market, you know, where there's only like three or four mega corporations. So let's say I'll give diapers. So there's not, how many companies make diapers? You have a very short list of companies there. That sucks. And then they will try to figure out every way around you because there's a few industries when there's only like three companies and they're as big as the largest companies in the world. Like they could make diapers. That's, you don't have a bunch of companies and they're going to beat you up about pads. And most companies in most industries won't do that. So when it's mass, mass, mass manufacturing, like diapers or band-aids, those are just a few examples. And there's only three companies. I don't like that. Whereas you're, like, you're working on an air freshener and you've got a list of 50 companies you can reach out to. I'm just using that as an example. So those are some criteria, Raul, that you can use to figure out which idea to work on first. With our students, what we do is the coach, you know, let's say the student's on, and coach will say, okay, here's the upsides and downsides of number one, number two, number three. And they'll say number two, definitely. And the student's like, oh, I'm seeing all the observations you're making. I get it now. I totally thought the easiest one was number three. And then after that, number one, and you're telling me it's number two, and I see the criteria you're giving me. So this is something that a students learn, our students learn a lot by actually talking about the real projects. But I gave you guys some good tips there, um, Raul, um, as far as you know how to whittle it down a little bit. Um, uh, Fibro Corp is the handle. Some people say that a company like P&G would not entertain a product that is not fully working prototype. So again, you know, a company like PNG, there's only a few companies that I, I talked about this last time, guys, that I put into the mega corporation. You can license to really big companies, but an Apple, a Procter and Gamble, a PNG, a Kraft, they're just going to be really difficult. And and most of the time, we look at a project and we're like. You got a bunch of other companies here. Why are you obsessing over? Because I want to go to the biggest one. I want to go to the biggest. And um, 
a lot of these really big companies, to be honest with you, the, the mega corporations, not big. You can license to a company that's in Walmart, Target, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Home Depot, and Lowe's. And, and um, I'd figure out what kind of product would be in Lowe's and Home Depot as well. But you get the idea. And they're not too big to license to. But the P&Gs of the world, the Apples of the world, the Googles of the world, good luck. Because um, what they like to do is they like to buy smaller companies out. So I would license to a smaller company, and maybe they end up getting bought out. And can you put a license, a clause in the licensing contract to get bought out? Here's what has to happen. Um, so that was a good question. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, uh, Seventh Molinar is the handle. Uh, I realize that my product has aftermarket opportunity, replacing the standard bezel with a theme bezel like a sports team. Is that a big ticket item to be negotiated? Um, well, I don't know what your product is, and you shouldn't publicly disclose it. You didn't. You didn't. I, I don't bezel for what. I don't know. Um, so I like aftermarket products. Uh, they can usually with some aftermarket products. You know, you have like thirty companies. It's not just two or three. It's an, it's an add-on to something else, and um, so I like that. So. Um, is that a big ticket? Without the details, uh, seventh, I, I couldn't answer your question. I, I would need to know what your product is, and we're not going to do that publicly, of course, on YouTube. Um, uh, let's see. My name is Jay. I will join InventRite, but due to quarantine, I lost my income, so I want to get at least an interest from a company before I join. Do you think the strategy is wrong? Thank you. No, I, I think that, you know, I'll be honest with you guys with licensing. If you're looking to make money overnight, don't do licensing. If you're looking for a get-rich-quick get scheme, don't do licensing. Can you get rich with licensing? Yes, but it's not overnight. It takes a company um, three to nine months typically or more to launch a product, and then you get paid your royalties quarterly. So it's very common to be getting paid those royalties a year or more after you license it. You need to be okay with that. I mean, they're taking all this risk. They're investing their money, doing all the work. You should be happy about that and fine with that. Now, what I worry about is people thinking like, oh, well, um, so Jay, what I, was, what I would say, Jay, why did I lose track of who that was there? Uh, oh, yeah, okay. It was love, oh, love, live, discover is Jay. Okay, got it. Um, so I don't want somebody, you know, paying us $3,000 for half a year of support and thinking they're going to earn that money back overnight because you're not, you know, because um, it's going to take a while for that money to come in. You may license, not license your first product. It may be your second or third. So that's the reality of licensing. But the nice thing about the approach that we teach is that you don't mortgage your house and home. So you always have the financial bandwidth to move on to your second, third, fourth, fifth, eighth, ninth, tenth product. So when we guide our students, yes, we're making sure they do and say everything right. So the highest chance of success with the product we're guiding them on. But they're also getting that real life experience. So they can license products the rest of their life. And that's the bigger picture. So, Jay, are you doing anything wrong by reaching out on your own and not joining yet if you can't financially afford it? No, you're doing the right thing. Um, if you if you can't afford the program then do it and go, ah, this is great because I'm not busy right now and I have the money and 
I'm going to be able to spend even more time licensing where a lot of our students, they spend around four to six hours a week while they have their full-time job or so. But if you're like, that would, if I, if you have to be deciding if you're going to pay your utility bill or us, this is not the right time to be doing it, but you can reach out, you know, watch us ramble on YouTube and get some of our books. And we give a lot of great free information away. So I don't think you're wrong by doing that if you're tight financially, Jay, because you're, you're not going to earn money back overnight licensing. Um, and with COVID, I think that, um, you know, some of these companies, uh, it'll take them additional time to launch the product. It might be an additional three or four months to launch it. And you guys need to be okay with that. You're moving on to license other products once you get that deal done. So, you know, God, you're putting all this risk off onto them. Be real. Don't think they're going to launch this product within two weeks and it's going to hit the market. I've talked to inventors that told me, oh, this company stole my idea. And I go, well, when did you talk to them about it? And this was one guy not too long ago. It was like three weeks ago. And I'm like, what makes you think they could launch a product in three weeks? I looked at the product. I'm like, you're crazy. Why are you thinking that they can launch the product in three weeks? That, that was like the quintessential nutty inventor thing to say. He was so not business savvy that he thought that they could launch a product and have it in stores in three weeks. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's not the type of inventor that we help. When I see people saying things like that, I'm like, you know, just keep watching us. And, you know, and people, people are in a lot of different spaces. Sometimes people are so clueless about business in general and licensing. And then they watch us for a while. They do other things or other things in your life. And they become knowledgeable and they become smart. So I'm totally okay with somebody being clueless. But when I tell you that, and then you're still like, oh, I don't know. I still think they stole it. Then I'm like, okay, I don't think I can fix this person. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's fine if you just, you don't, you're like, I know nothing about licensing, Andrew. I've never been in business. I think that's fine. Just do things to get educated and you'll get smarter and be willing to put yourself out there. And so, Jay, I would put yourself out there. And it's very unlikely that a company is going to steal your idea. I know you're probably worried about that. A lot of new inventors are. It's very rare. It does happen but usually to the people that act wacky. Um, uh, Q, uh, Qs, if you, if you have never done licensing but have multiple good ideas for licensing in an industry, this over here, should you lead with that what is your best idea or get experience off trying the other ideas first? Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you're in an industry, staying in an industry is very beneficial because, you're, like I said earlier, your first product is your introduction to the company. So if you've got, I would, if you've got what you think is your best idea, I put that one forward first because you're putting your foot forward, and they're like, well, you know, wasn't a right match for us. And then you ask them, you know, are you open to receiving more ideas? They're like, yeah, sure, because they respected what you sent. You know, if what you send your first idea is just kind of whacked. Um, let's make it an impression. When you ask them, can I send more? They might be like, eh, you know, but really to be honest with you, most of the time, if they accept the first one, they'll accept more. Even if the idea wasn't ideal or right for them, as long as your presentation was somewhat professional. So, um, I would, I would always start with one. I would not with companies kind of, I think this is kind of more your questions coming from, I would not submit multiple to a company until you've sent one. And then you can ask permission 
and say, can I send more? And you can say, can I send multiple or should I just send one at a time? And then you should follow what they tell you. Um, so Latrina says, hi, I have an idea. What's the first step, create or PPA? Neither. So you, filling your PPA is the last thing, a provisional patent application, before you start calling companies, the very last thing. Um, because in your research, a lot of times there's things you, oh, I should put that in my provisional patent. So and creating it is not the first thing, is not the first thing either. It's doing your research, studying that micro category and working on the marketing, looking at how many companies are out there for this type of product and assessing if you want to work on the project. So that's what you want to do with the first retreat. Uh, I like this handle. Time Lizard is their handle. If if it, I don't know what that means. Is that like you're sliding through time? I don't know. It's kind of cool. Um, if an inventor submits a prototype, how involved are they when trying to make the finished product as best as possible? It varies tremendously with the company. Some of them want you to be really involved. Some of them are like, yeah, we got it from here. And some of them are in between. When they're looking at making the product or investigating whether or not they can do it, it's very good to be in the loop so they so that they can give you details about what the problems are, you know, before you license it. So it's amazing, but you might have no manufacturing background. They say, well, we went to China. They gave us close. They said this and that's a problem. And you're like, oh, they misunderstood it. You know, you could do it like this or this. And they're like, oh. So sometimes, you know, I'll see the company come back and say, we can't do it because of this or that. Or they don't say it and the inventor doesn't ask for it. But when the inventor asks for the information, they can then fix it. Even if you're, you're a housewife or a plumber and not an engineer, you know, and there's a lot of things to be fixed. So it's very good to be in the loop. Um, and to be completely out of the loop, I always think there's deals that could have gotten closed that didn't because you didn't keep yourself in the loop and getting updates from them and getting the details and pulling it out of them. They don't always like to give that, but you have to try. And, and that's very important. So I think that trying to get information, knowing that you're going to get no's is very important. So just no's yeah. from the company. And I'll give you another example, asking for feedback. When they say, no, not a right match for us, let's say you ask five companies. Um, or let's say you ask every company for feedback, and only one in five gives it to you. Well, great. You go, oh, they never give me feedback. Well, if one in five gave it to you, maybe that's enough. But And I talked to an inventor earlier today about this. Never do a whiny inventor why. So what you want to do when they say no, you say, no problem. I fully accept that. I'm a professional product developer. I get no's all the time. I'm okay with that. Would you have the time to help me out and provide a sentence or two with any criticism, any problems you see um, about this for your company or just in general? And so it's all about realizing that you won't always get what you ask for the majority of time, these times you won't. And so if you ask five companies, only one, let's, let's say you got 30 and you ask every one and only one in five gives you feedback, well, then six companies would be giving you feedback. And then you're, that's enough information to make adjustments. And if you need to make adjustments to your marketing presentation, maybe you realize, oh, damn, I didn't, under, I didn't realize they were confused on that. And you resend it to all the ones that said no. And you simply say, look, my marketing presentation was confusing. And several companies tell me that. 
Maybe don't say several companies. Several people tell me that, and I reworked it. Can you give it a quick look and see if it's right for your your, your company? Because they just simply replied with no, thank you, or something like that. They didn't give you the feedback that you needed, and you're realizing, oh, my marketing sucked. So, um, let's see how much time do we have left. We just have like uh, time for I guess one more. Um, so on Andre, is it possible to license an idea through an insurance company or it works with manufacturing only? I have a VIN, VIN, VIN idea. Uh, it'll work for people manufacturing insurance companies. So you can license anything that makes sense. The point of licensing is tapping into what's already there. So it's going to help them save money or what have you. That's a... It's not a type of patent, actually. It's a utility patent, but the way we define it is it's a business method patent. It's like this happens and this happens and this happens. So if this new process that you want to license to an insurance company, more than likely, Andre, that is licensable. Um, it doesn't have to be just physical products. Um, so, But if it requires them to start a whole new company, that's not right for licensing. If they can plug it into what they're already doing, than it more than likely is. So it doesn't have to be a physical product. Um, uh, doo -doo -doo. So it, it, Michael says, hey, Andrew, do you have a product developer on Fiverr you can suggest? Thanks. You know, Fiverr is very hit and miss. Um, a lot of these designers are overseas. Um, we have our own design studio, InventRight. We, we do, it's included with our program for our students, but people can buy it a la carte too. So you might look into our design studio if you go to InventRight, go to the services, you can look at Design Studio. Uh, Fiverr can be very hit and miss. Um, but you can you can have success there as well. Um, the problem is like you'll find a good designer at Fiverr and then they're gone, you know, three months later. So they don't tend to stick around. Um, so that can be problematic. A lot of communications issues. That's the reason why we started our own design studio. Um, so yeah, so that we're going to call it a night. We're one minute past. Um, yeah, uh, Madeline, let type in if there's anything you want me to say or make any comments. Um, tomorrow night we have, and Madeline, if you could put that into the chat, we have a webinar. It's free. It's our series we're doing during this whole COVID thing, which Every Thursday, we're doing a webinar, and they're free for the public. And so um, uh, Dan Siegel, the uh, president of Lifetime Brands, one of the largest um, housewares companies in the world, they have about 30 brands, KitchenAid, and God knows how many others, is going to come on, and it's going to be amazing. And a little teaser here, he's going to talk about eight categories that they're focusing on right now due to COVID and things they think will be beneficial in the future. So I highly recommend that you register for that. Madeline will put the link, she just put it up right there in the chat. If you already signed up for that series, you should get notifications about that. Um, it's gonna be amazing. He's, he's a, a great guy. He's gonna really give it up. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry guys. I, I realized we started at 510. I'm all about giving it all up. So. Um, we're going to do another seven minutes here because I'm all about giving the full hour. 
Uh, I forgot that we started at 510, my time. So we're going to go 10 minutes past the hour. So, but check that out. That link is in the chat. So it gives you some time to click on and register for that um, if you're interested in that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Molo says, if a company says it's not interested, can they go ahead and produce the product at the end of your PPA? Um, we've had students, I sound like a broken record when I say this stuff, but we've had students in over 65 countries over 20 years. We've never seen that happen with one of our students. Um, so, you know, I, I think people are concerned about that. I've never seen it happen. Could happen. Now, you could also file that provisional again and get another year. So with the American Events Act that was passed a long time ago, privately showing your product for license is not considered public disclosure. So you can't continue your PPA past that year. But let's say you filed a PPA 11 months ago. And, you know, you're, you're like, I want to keep working on this, but I'm just not getting any traction yet. Now, what I'll say is using the event right approach, you'll never need the year except for some rare, difficult industries. You file a PPA and you start calling the next week or the next day and you'll never need the year. OK, except in rare instances like, you know, with megacorps like Procter & Gamble where you're trying to license a new kind of diaper or something, they'll drag their feet like you wouldn't believe. But most companies, you'll never need the year. So, but what you can do, because privately showing your product for license is not considered public disclosure, at 11 months or whatever, you, or you could be even after you showed it, you can file that provisional again and get another year. Now, you don't get the year from the original date, you get the new year from there. And so that could bite you in the butt um, and that you don't have that old priority date. But I've never seen it happen to one of our students. So now what some attorneys try to do is they try to make you believe that you'll lose all your rights. And what you'll lose is that earlier priority date, but you can file that same provisional if you haven't made a public disclosure and get a year from that new provisional. So but here's the thing. Inventors get all excited about the provisional patent, they get the warm and fuzzies. Oh, I can, for 70 bucks, I can protect my idea. And it's true, and it's a great, incredible tool, but if you just sit on your hands for a year, what freaking good is it? So don't, every time you come up with an idea, file a provisional and do nothing. If you don't know how to license it, you're not reach out to companies, what's the point? What is the point? Now you can go, well, I feel better, Andrew, I'm protected. Okay, good, spend the 70 bucks, feel protected, but the year's gonna run out, what's the point? You know, um, so know how to license and know how to reach out to companies and just do it. You know, like Jan said earlier, I can't afford the program right now and is I, I, I want to wait. But should I just keep start pushing out? And I'm like, hell yeah, start pushing out, man. You know, um, it's, it's very unlikely that a company is going to steal your idea. It's just like. Now, our students do act very professional, and they do know how to handle difficult situations after we've trained them. So if those things do come up, we're advising them. But um, I say just go for it. If you don't work on your projects, you rip yourself off. So like inventors, I've talked to inventors that say they've had um, a, a father or mother um, that was inventing, and they never, they filed patents. They never called a single company. That's sad. Don't go to your deathbed never having called a company because nothing will ever happen filing a patent. 
calling a company something can happen. That's when you can call yourself an inventor, when you make that first call to your first company. Not when you make a prototype, not when you file a patent, but when you call a company, because that's when things can happen. Nobody's going to be a path to your door. Nobody's going to look at a patent filed on the patent office and call you up and say, I'm interested in this thing. I mean, once in one in a million, maybe, but that's just ridiculous. And patent attorneys, some of them will give you the impression that it might happen. It won't. Um, and be honest with you, a lot of patent attorneys do a piss poor job of filing patents because they know it will never get challenged or looked at. So they put all this double talk in there. Good patents are actually easy to read. So they put all this double talk in there so you don't know what they're protecting. And I've talked to inventors that didn't read their own freaking patent. Like you spent $8,000, $10,000 in this and you don't know what your own patent says? Are you kidding me? You know, um, it's, it's crazy. So file a provisional, see if there's interest. You know, and I, I realize, you know, some of you have already filed patents and that's fine. That's an asset. But if you don't end up licensing it, it's a liability and it was a giant risk. So don't do that in the future. File a provisional, get it out there, learn how to license your product. But it is an asset. So don't freak out. Well, Andrew said I shouldn't be filing patents. Yeah, I'm saying you shouldn't do that. But if you already did, it is an asset. Companies look at that. And that is has some value. But you don't want to be taking that financial risk every time you come up with an idea. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, we still have some time here. Uh, do most companies you know, from John, have after-hours system that rejected submissions? I don't know what that means, John, so I have to. Um, so uh, this one's from Ted. You have developed a new slash better product that could replace an existing product that has been around for years. Do you present your idea to the manufacturer of the product or shop it elsewhere? Okay, so sometimes people think, oh, I'm just going to approach companies making this exact same thing. You should approach those companies, but you should also approach people that are somewhat in that space, other products next to it on the shelf, somewhat in that category, because they might go, well, you know, we never wanted to do that type of product because it's kind of generic or there's a bunch of it, but this gives us a point of difference. And then the ones, you can't go into a company and say, your product sucks, and this is going to replace it. You can't do that. But you can show it to them and go, hmm, you know, we could replace our existing product with this. So the answer is you reach out to people selling the product that your product's going to replace, but also people that are kind of in that same space and that same category. And, um, and you don't tell them their product sucks. You know, you just, they're going to see your marketing and go, oh, this is better. It's going to give us a leg up on the competition. Okay. Uh, let's see. So this is the last one from XAY. I don't know how to pronounce that. Zay, I guess. Um, if I get a licensing agreement with a company while my product is in patent pending and later find out that someone else has patented a patent on it, how does that affect my deal? I have never seen that happen, Zay, in 20 years. It could happen. Um, later find that someone else has a patent on it. So it could happen, but I've never seen it happen. 
some um, licensing agreements will actually say that you've done your due diligence to freak some inventors out and you're verifying that this is not in violation of what somebody else has done. Not all licensing contracts say that. So you should be looking at that when you're at the tail end of a licensing deal to go ahead and verify that if you want to be smart and do some patent searching. We teach our students to do patent searching. It's not that hard. Um, so, but I've never seen it happen. So, you know, but it could, it could be an issue. Could be. But so you should do your you should do your searching on that before you, you close the deal. So I I, I want to remind you guys, and I say this sometimes that for probably ninety five percent of you, inventing is part of who you are, um, and it, it is exciting to come up with ideas. But it starts to become a little thorn in your side when you're not doing anything with them. So I want to encourage you to to do something with them. I think that for a lot of you. Just showing up to this and asking questions um, shows that you're not in the dreamer category anymore. That you're now like, I'm looking for information to freaking do this, to get it out in front of companies. Maybe you don't feel confident doing that yet, but that you're going that direction. So embrace the inner inventor in you. And the inventor is not the person that just comes up with the idea. The inventor is the person that comes up with the idea and makes it happen. And now with licensing, what's great is you're offloading this off to some big company, so you don't need to start a business. You can have your full-time job. You can have your other business. You can always do licensing on the side. You do not need to mortgage your house and home. So you, there's no reason for you not to be that inventor that you want to be. But it's the stuff that we teach you to do is not going to be as much fun as the ideation or the creation of your idea. Most in the ideation or creation of your idea is five to 10% of the process at most. I would say 5%. 95% of it is the work that we guide our students to do. So you now or later decide I'm ready to do that work with us or without us, but you got to do the work. And, and so that's, that's the mindset that you need to be in. And I encourage you guys to do it. You guys can all do it. We've had students from housewives and plumbers to former CEOs to astrophysicists to everybody in between, people with no business background, people with massive business backgrounds, people that are super creative, people that aren't really that creative, but their product makes sense, and everybody in between. And what it comes down to is people with the work ethic that are willing to do the work of licensing. It's one fraction of the work of starting a business, but you still need to do the work. Those are the ones that license their products. It's not always the ones with the incredible, mind-blowing ideas. Sometimes it's slight variations. Sometimes it's incredible ideas. Sometimes it's like, oh, that makes sense. You know, I know most of you probably all think your idea is incredible. But, you know, it doesn't need to be incredible. It just needs to make sense. You're right. Don't feel like ever my idea needs to be mind-blowing because it doesn't. It really doesn't. Um, it's fine if it is. It's fine if it's a minor variation as long as it makes sense or somewhere in between, but you guys need to work on your projects. So I remind everybody to take care, keep inventing. I want to thank Madeline for helping out with the questions because they come up real quick. And she helps cherry pick some ones that haven't been answered before. Um, and if you guys want to go back in our archives, I don't know, Madeline, is this the seventh time, seventh week I've done this? Eighth? Not really sure. But um, you can go back and watch some of the prior ones. You may benefit from that. Um, I can't answer the question if it's not live. But I will be back next Wednesday. 
Um, I have no definite end in sight when we're going to stop these. I can't promise we'll do them forever. But I love doing it, and I love you guys. And uh, take care and keep them at it. See you guys. Bye.